among us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hello everyone. As you've probably already picked up on, tonight's a little different. We are actually dark this week, observing our scheduled mid-season break. Just a little time for us to get caught up and take a little breather before we hit the back half of the season. But we love you guys, and we don't want to leave you high and dry. Now, while I'll be back next week with a brand new installment, for now, please enjoy this Beyond Unlock, Season 14, Episode 16, The Beyond, which originally aired as a Patreon exclusive on January 5th of 2023. Enjoy the bonus material, keep it spooky, and I'll catch you all back here next week. Until then, for Season 14, Episode 16, the beyond. So let's get this thing started. Beginning with Marcos, over in New York. Hi, my name is Marcos, and this is a story of a sighting of little people that my younger brother had in Mexico. It was around the mid to late 2000s. He was walking back from school. He had to go to school a long way from home. It was an evening, like around 3 or 4 in the afternoon. He had to stay late for after-school activities. And once he got out of school, he decided to take the long way home. He had to go through a forested area. Once in the forested area, he decided to just listen to nature while walking and enjoying the moment. But once he heard that the bird singing wasn't the same, it changed. It sounded like it was a person or it, it sounded fake. He looked around. He thought he was going to get robbed because he was in Mexico. He thought he was going to be attacked by highwaymen, basically. Once he heard that, he decided to run. He ran as far and as fast as he could. Uh, once he couldn't run anymore, he decided to start walking again. And like a minute had passed and he had passed uh, by some trees. He heard again that weird whistling, which sounded fake. He looked up at the tree as he was going by it and saw a little person or a duende as they call it in Mexico. He described it basically as Dobby from the Harry Potter series. And it was the size of a cereal box. So it was small. And it was wearing a loincloth. And uh, once they their eyes met, the duende basically dove into the tree branch and just disappeared. Uh, once he saw that, he once again started running. And again, he ran out of breath, stopped running, and continued walking. He kept watching behind him and saw that he was being followed by that duende. 
he can tell that it wasn't concealing completely his presence. It was just occasionally jumping from bush to bush or branch or branches in the tree line. And he just was behind him, not super close, but still behind him. My brother was, of course, scared and just continued walking because he couldn't do anything else. So he he eventually reached a stream. He decided to jump across the stream. It wasn't a, a river or anything. It was it was a stream because it was a forested with rural area eventually where he reached the little person or duende did not jump the stream. He stayed on the other side of that waterway, but he would still be able to perfectly conceal himself within seemingly impossible bunches of grass or bushes, which my brother could tell were much smaller than the duende. He did not question it. He just kept walking and never went back to that place again. He would take the other ways around to go home or the bus even. But uh, that was my younger brother's experience in Mexico with duendes. Thank you for your time. Have a good one. Thanks, Marcos. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the concept of duende, I found this information from Scare Normal very helpful. There are tales of frightening little creatures that enjoy traveling at night, and rarely do you see them during the day. They giggle and play while causing different kinds of mischief on people. These creatures are called duendes. Duendes is a Spanish term for gnomes or goblins. These creatures have a small humanoid figure to them and measure from 7 inches to 3 to 4 feet tall. They are known to be evil tricksters and they will steal your things and hide them in places where you would never find them. They pull on your pillow or blanket at night and sometimes even scratch or bite you. Now, ScareNormal put together a list of nine spooky Duende videos. I think some of them we actually shared on Paranormal Caught on Camera when I was on that program. Now, he did a bang-up job, so I highly recommend clicking on the link in the show notes or in the description down below. Give them all a glance. Even if the Duende isn't real, what the hell are on those videos? So, duende, little people, forest folk, elves, moon-eyed people, whatever it is you want to call them, it seems most cultures have some legend surrounding them. That's gotta mean something. There's gotta be some truth to it. Well, either way, we thank you, Marcos, for taking the time to share that entry. Welcome back, Patreon listeners, to this extended cut I trust you all had a brilliant holiday season. Well, I'm personally happy to have the holidays behind us. For us here at the studios, we work through most of the holidays. So trying to squeeze out an extra day or two to celebrate causes chaos later down the schedule. But we do what we can to make it work. And we do what we can to bring the spooky. And as promised on last week's special episode... Tonight, we're going to burn the midnight oil, so to speak. So let's get another story rolling, shall we? This time, from New York State. Dwayne, welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Dwayne. I live in upstate New York. This happened back in 2003, about late May, early June, I think it was. 
I was moving back up here from California due to a job, and I was passing through Interstate 80 going east through Nebraska, and I happened upon a convoy of military vehicles, and I wanted to get around them as soon as possible, so I went around them. There were three Hummers in the back with a guy at each turret mounted on the top, and there was like a cargo truck and then three Hummers in the front with guys that tour it. And as I was passing, I happened to look up in the air and there was a black helicopter flying around in circles. I don't know what it was, but it's been with me all this time. And so I don't know what it might've been, but it was awful suspicious. Thanks for your time. I love your show. Bye. Thank you, Dwayne. You know, when I was a kid, the black helicopter thing seemed to be a bigger deal than it is now. And I think I might know, at least for me, why that was. When I was a kid, maybe ten or so, during the summers, we would often spend most of our time alone. My dad was at work. My mom worked a late shift, so she was probably asleep. We would just be messing around in the back 13 acres. Well, one summer, I recall a large black helicopter showing up and this helicopter was different because it would hover about maybe a hundred feet above the tree line which was only about 75 feet itself now at first it was just one but after a while we would see and hear others crisscrossing through the countryside now we always thought it had something to do with ufos aliens maybe they were looking for an escaped creature of some sort But as I eavesdropped on adult conversations, I quickly learned that it was probably the DEA searching for illegal grow operations in our countryside area. But still to this day, I can remember seeing the pilots' faces. That's how close these helicopters were to us. And this is once or twice a week for two or three summers in a row. So I don't know if that helps you at all, Dwayne, but there's certainly something going on there. And as you guys find out, when Shadows in the Desert finally releases, we had a run-in there as well. So until then, we'll shelve this topic. And we'll thank you, Dwayne, for sharing your entry. Well, now seems like an appropriate time to start talking Ouija. Ouija boards. Please, join me in welcoming Emma to the program. Hey there, Derek. I've been calling in a slew of stories as they've been coming to mind. I've been an avid listener to your show about the last six months. And, you know, definitely inspiring to hear how many other folks have weird stories. And it's been a pastime between my friends and I. One of us will start and we'll just slowly make it around the table and hear everyone's weird experiences but this is one of the first experiences I ever had in South Georgia when I was about 15. I had a friend who identified as a pagan at the time and had experimented a little bit with witchcraft here and there and she brought a Ouija board over to my house one night like I said as we were teenagers and at this time actually I had some personal things going on where like my my estranged birth father was trying to contact me and it was a kind of a complicated situation and um 
I really didn't know what to do as far as like, should I interact with this person or develop a relationship, etc. So anyway, when my friend brought out the Ouija board, she didn't know any of this was going on and just invited me to ask it a question. She said I didn't have to ask it out loud, that we would just sit there with our hands. I don't remember what the object is called, but, you know, on the device that moves. And um, now this is someone I trusted then and I would still trust now to not be messing with my head, basically. So we're sitting there, and in my mind, I just asked, like, you know, is this a good idea, basically? I don't know why, but I got the sensation that whatever began moving our hands was my grandmother who has passed over and who actually died around the time my mother, about a year or two before my mom was pregnant with me. And so she had met this man. So the Ouija board spells out three letters. As I said, my friend did not know what was going on, but the letters were the initials of my father. What was weirder is that he had started going by a different first name, and it included that name. You know, it was like the name he was going by, then the letter of his actual first name, and the letter of his last name. And it very quickly said no and goodbye. It was so fast. It was maybe the whole experience was about two minutes, and it really, really freaked me out, actually. But also, I don't know, I took the advice. Like I said, it felt like my grandmother, I want to use the word sinister, but more warning. It felt like she was warning me, like this just wasn't a good idea. We tried to like ask other questions and the board wouldn't do, wouldn't do anything, which also made me feel like my friend was not messing around with me because to her, she thought it was just nonsense. And I didn't tell her that I felt like it was telling me something because I, I didn't believe this board would do anything. I really thought nothing was going to happen. Um, Yeah, so just that randomly popped into my head while I was listening to your show today and uh, just wanted to share it. I haven't heard a lot of Ouija board stories necessarily or even like trying to contact the other side. So yeah, hope you can use this. Bye. Thank you, Emma. It's a planned chat, the little board piece you're talking about. Everyone seems to forget what that part is called. But as for Emma's story, is that an eerie coincidence or a sign from beyond? Regardless of all that, we thank you, Emma, for taking the time to share your entry. It's always fun to have a good Ouija board story. Father's Day is right around the corner and you haven't gotten your dad anything yet. Well, don't worry. That's where the sponsors of tonight's show, Manscaped, come in. They're the best in men's grooming and have plenty of awesome products to keep your dad feeling fresh this summer. And dare I say, aerodynamic. Head on over to manscaped.com and use code MONSTERS for 20% off plus free shipping. Last Father's Day, I got my dad the Weed Whacker 2.0 nose and ear hair trimmer. And I'm here to report that he was happy with his gift. And now he can maybe hear just a little better. And I'd say the same thing about myself because I have one as well so my nose hairs are sure to stay in check. While I'm on topic though, the Weed Wagger 2.0 is the best nose hair trimmer on the market and makes the perfect gift for your pops. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is also awesome. It has advanced skin safe technology to reduce grooming accidents and the 4000K LED spotlight helps you get a more precise shave. 
Now, Manscaped also carries everything from cologne to beard balm and a foot deodorant to groin wash. And their box sets make gift giving even easier. So get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code MONSTERS at checkout. Show your dad some love with a gift from Manscaped. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that strange buzzing out in the yard. Now it's time to change things up once again. Kelsey from Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Kelsey. I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I want to say about like six months, and I absolutely love it. I was just listening to, I think her name was Veronica, in season four, episode 15, and she talked about how you know, she was in her room at night sleeping, and she heard what she thought was one of her children say, Mommy, and she went out and there was no one there. Well, I had a, a very similar experience happen to me. I want to say it was about two months ago. So my niece stays with me throughout the week for virtual school with the pandemic and everything, and her parents have to work. So on the weeknights, she stays with me and my fiance. We lived in an apartment at the time. We have since moved. Like I said, I lived in an apartment. She has her own room. She is about seven years old. So, you know, she stays in there. She's, she's a very good kid. She doesn't usually bother me, but sometimes in the middle of the night, she needs a drink or something like that. So she'll wake me up and she calls me Kelp sometimes. So I was sleeping in bed. My fiance was next to me. He was out cold. And I was sleeping, and I heard, uh, like, a whisper of, hey, Kels. And I thought it was my niece saying that, you know, that she needed something. Um, it was just a little whisper, faint little voice, sounded exactly like her. And I woke up, I looked around, she wasn't there. I went and checked in her bedroom. Her door was shut. I woke in, she was sound asleep. Like I said, she's a good kid. She doesn't normally bother me. She doesn't play pranks or anything like that. So I was pretty startled that night, and I don't have an explanation for it. I mean, I, I suppose I could have been dreaming and woke myself up, but definitely didn't feel like that. It sounded like I heard my name. So, yeah, I just thought I'd share that. Thanks again for your podcast. I really love it. I listen to it all the time. Thanks. Bye. Okay. So now I look at this one maybe one of two ways. First, it reminds me of exploding head syndrome, the sleep disorder that we've spoken about multiple times before, that creates loud, audible hallucinations in sufferers just as they're about to fall asleep. Now, sometimes it's a boom or a crash, hence the name exploding head syndrome, but it can also manifest in other familiar sounds, such as closing doors, beeps or alarms, and even human voices. So in theory, it could have simply been that. But on the other side of that creepy little coin is the phenomenon known as mimicry. Children do it. Parrots do it. Some say Bigfoot even does it. And according to many investigators and experiencers alike, ghosts seem to do it as well. Truth be told, I have no idea. But I sure loved hearing the entry. So thank you again, Kelsey, for taking the time to share with us. 
Now next up, we make our way to the Smoky Mountain region of Tennessee, where James is waiting with the story. Hey Derek, this is James. Big fan of the show, listen to it every day. I'm actually at work right now. This is actually a shadow figure story. And I don't really tell a lot of people about it, but something's kind of been pulling me more towards saying it and kind of mentioning it. I was actually camping with my best friend and my grandparents. We had gone out. I don't exactly remember what park it was, but I do know this was in Tennessee. There's a campground this place. I do know that much. But it was during the day. It was during the morning when we were leaving. So it was freshly in the morning. We'd woken up and we wanted to go out into the woods to check our ghost trap. That's, that in itself is a whole other kind of kid story. And as we're kind of going back there and looking around, I see kind of what looks like a figure dart behind a tree. Very tall, very slim, very fast, like very, very fast, like blink of an eye fast. But as I see it, I kind of readjust thinking maybe, you know, if my mind is kind of messing with me. So I kind of sit there and I look at it and I see it again. So I blink again and I'm kind of continuously trying to adjust to make sure that I'm seeing what I'm actually seeing. And I end up seeing it for a third time. But all three events, it felt like it was purposely waiting on me to look at it again, to be able to let it know that I knew it was there, and it would dart behind the tree closer towards us, which was really freaky. But not only is this an event where it was a shadow figure, it felt like either the woods were being commanded by it or that the woods were working in unison with it. Because when we had gone back and checked out, I'm kind of in goosebumps talking about it, we went over a small fallen over to very small, and we had a branch laid alongside a very big stone, or a very big fallen over tree. So when I see this figure, I, I tell my buddy, I say, run. You know, and he, he, of course, doesn't see anything. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. So I have to physically grab him by the shoulders, 180, spin him around, and push him. And as I'm pushing him, and this is a straight line back, straight line, straight line into the woods, straight line back. So we all we did was run in a straight line. But we only crossed over the small tree and the bigger tree that had fallen over was right next to us. But when I had spun him around, it was like the big tree had instantaneously gotten behind us. And so we had to crawl not only over the small one where we could jump over, we had to physically climb over that big one in order to be able to run back. And it was a very, very strange situation all in all, especially seeing how it was in the morning, it was during the day, and I didn't see this thing at a continual pace, I saw it three different times. Each time it progressively got closer and closer. And afterwards, whenever I'd get up for school in the morning, if there was a mist, I would always see like a shadow figure of a cat or something to kind of cross the yard. And as for the actual figure itself, uh, in terms of how I felt, well, yes, I was afraid. I wasn't so much afraid for me, just more of a fear in general of just not knowing what it was. But I definitely did get a sense of anger, but not channeled anger from this shadow figure. To be honest, ever it was possibly just a shadow figure. I didn't get a sense of directed anger, more of just a sense of almost similar to the sense that like when you're a child, when your parents put you in timeout, how you're mad that you can't move or like leave the corner, or, like leave your room. Almost kind of like like that type of mad. Like it was like it was an anger where it felt like it was stuck there. And I firmly believe that my experiences after that with the shadow cat and, and shadow dogs and things like that that I saw in the morning before school in the mess, I firmly believe that, that that figure had attached to me just to escape from the woods, which was definitely very, very strange. 
kind of feeling. And it went away after a while. And super quick, as I've been kind of debating where to call in about the past couple of days, is I've actually had a very odd feeling coming from my closet during these events. But just something I wanted to share. Anyways, love the show. Uh, can't wait to hear it on the podcast. Thanks. Thank you, James, for sharing that entry. You know, as much as it seems like James is pushing for the Shadow Man to be the villain in this story, there's a number of reasons that I question that theory and do what I typically do and replace that supernatural theory with one of my own. Well, at least in my opinion, it seems like James may be describing the behavior of a more popular creature. The peeking out from behind trees. Well, it's a behavior that's often attributed to Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Oftentimes, you can just see the tips of their heads peeking out as they keep an eye on you, earning them the nickname Tree Peekers. Well, uh, allegedly. Well, that almost sounds like the behavior that James described in his call just now. And the fact that the figure is all dark, all black, well, that certainly helps my cause. And just for a little validation, I bounced on over to the BFRO website and checked out their database for the state of Tennessee. There's at least a few dozen reported sightings over the past 25 years or so. And a few of these counties are somewhat heavy hitters. Campbell County with three, Cumberland County with three, Dixon County with four, Hickman County with three, Lawrence County with three, Monroe County with three, Rutherford County with three, Sumner County with three, Tipton County with four, and Sevier County, I think that's how you pronounce that, along with Wilson County, coming in with a whopping six sightings. My point here being that there may or may not be Sasquatch in the volunteer state. Now, I did some digging, trying to find some news stories or some information on tree peeking. We kind of come up dry. But I did find something that I was reminded of that I saw back in October. It's a Bigfoot sighting filmed in the state of Tennessee. A town called Baxter, to be specific. And it was posted on YouTube back on October 26th of 2022 by a man named Clay Shiner. The description that he gave simply says, Bigfoot filmed on my friend's property by Daniel Whitehead, my friend slash property owner, in broad daylight, just inside the tree line. And since this isn't a visual medium, I won't spend a ton of time on this video. But I will say there's an attribute here that's striking. Now it's just as Clay said, it's a dark figure, humanoid in shape. Just inside the tree line, backlit by the setting sun. And the creature kind of shifts back and forth. Adjusting its weight from one leg to the other. And that's when it reaches out with an exceptionally long, ape-like arm and grabs the tree next to it and pulls its body over. Now, having worked with special effects, 
and making my living as an artist, I can see how this could be faked. But if it is, it was certainly clever of them to include that detail. So anyway, pull over the car, stop jogging, stop making dinner, whatever you're doing, and check out this video. You can find the link in the show notes. Let me know what you think. Rocky Top Bigfoot. Or as James claims, a shadow man. Either way, we love the story, James. Thank you so much for taking the time to share it. Now up next, we visit the state up north, where Cassidy is waiting with a tail. Hi, Derek. My name is Cassidy. I'm from southwest Michigan, and I had a couple stories to tell you today. Both of them involve my friend. I'll just keep her name anonymous for the story just because. But we both are super into creepy stuff, scary movies, everything like that. And there is a cemetery that I would always drive by going to school and stuff. And it's called Mount Hope Cemetery. And it's located in uh, Middleville, Michigan. It's a pretty small town. And I've always wanted to go there and check it out just because we both enjoy very creepy stuff. So I thought it would be a fun kind of day adventure for us. And the main part of the cemetery when you drive in is mostly new gravestones. And as you go farther up, the cemetery kind of ends on a hill. And the further you walk up the hill, the older we were just walking around, kind of just strolling. And uh, we keep walking. And up on this hill, is it's not bowed or upkept or anything like that. It's very, like, high grass and lots of weeds and thickets and everything like that. And we noticed that there's some headstones that are up on the hill that have been broken off and they're kind of laying there or they're so old that you can't even read what is on them anymore. And we start walking up the hill and obviously our legs get all scratched up and it's kind of a struggle. But once we get to the top of the hill, which you can't really see the top from the bottom of the cemetery, but once we got up to the top, we saw this wooden cross that was cemented into the ground. And I was a little freaked out, and she was kind of freaked out, but she has a little bit more courage than I do. And she went up and just kind of looked at it, and there was some rose hanging from it. And this looks fairly new. It didn't look like it had been there for a long time at all. I was super freaked out, but she seemed to think that it was just, you know, a cross someone put up on the top of the hill. But I was definitely a little freaked out, especially because most of these Headstones are from the early 1800s, and who, who knows who would have went up that hill. There's no trail to get up there. We kind of just had to crawl up there ourselves, but we thought it was pretty creepy. I didn't see anything. I don't know if she saw anything and just didn't want to tell me because I was scared, but there's definitely a little spooky vibe from there, and I don't really have quite an answer to why there would be a cross on the top of the hill, but I thought it was a kind of weird and spooky story but really enjoy your podcast I've been on a road trip for the last month or so and this is pretty much all I listen to to keep me entertained so keep up the good work thank you bye thank you Cassidy I don't know when you cross any cemetery kind of seems commonplace to me 
but I guess I wasn't there, so I don't know what this thing looked like, how it was arranged or decorated. But what say you, dear Patreon listener, Monster Squad member? Is that creepy, or is that something you would expect to see? Regardless of the outcome of that hypothetical survey, we thank you, Cassidy, for sharing your story. Now let's once again explore an aerial mystery. Please join me in welcoming Tess from Pennsylvania to the program. Hello, Derek and listeners. My name's Tess. I'm calling from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I wanted to share what I think is my first paranormal experience. This happened around probably, I'd say, 2009, 2010. I still lived with my father. I was probably around like 9 or 10. I remember one night we were sitting out on our porch waiting for my mother to come home. I always loved looking up at the stars and the sky. Whenever I was younger, I would like name the stars and just say those were like my past relatives looking down on us. So I was always one to be looking up there. I remember we were sitting outside, staring up at the stars, just like talking about things, making my dad tell me stories, old stories of him and his family. And then that's whenever I saw this really bright light moving. And I thought it was a satellite because I always try to look for those things. So I thought it was a satellite. It was going at the same speed. It was going in a straight line. I made my dad look up. So we were both watching it. And all of a sudden it stopped. Like totally dead stop in the middle of everything. And I nudged my dad and I'm like, oh my God, it stopped. Do you see that? And he's watching it the same with me. And next thing we knew, it did like a little circle, like like a U-turn, like how a car does a U-turn. That's what it did. And it started going back in the direction that it was flying from in the first place. I was definitely spooked because I looked at my dad and I was like, that's not an airplane. And he looked at me and he said, no, airplanes don't stop and turn around. And I was like, and that's not a shooting star. And he said, no, not a shooting star shooting stars don't stop and turn around and switch direction well whenever he said that I was totally freaked out I looked at him and I said okay we're, we're going inside now like I was terrified and like I said this was probably 2010 2009 ever since then I have always brought it up to my father my father is not the type of guy that is going to bull things he has been a bodybuilder so like nothing really scares him but whenever he was spooked because of that it definitely scared me and ever since then I always bring it up to him like hey remember that one star that did a u-turn and ever since then he agrees with me and then he still remembers it and I always bring it back up to him just because it was like a little a little bonding moment over fear Alrighty, that's the end of my story I just want to say thank you again for this platform. Thank you for having a place that lets us be able to feel comfortable and share our story without anybody laughing at us. So yeah, 
Thank you. And thank you all the listeners for supporting this show because I honestly don't know what I would do without it. Alrighty, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Tess. You know, over the past couple months, I was lucky enough to make it back to Ohio a couple times to visit family and friends. And while I was back, I was talking with my dad, and he was telling me about an experience he keeps having. He's either bringing firewood in or something and closing up for the evening, and he'll look up toward the western sky and see a strange light hovering above. Now, he's described it to me in all sorts of different ways, but what I gather, it's a glowing ball of white light with a green light on the top and a red light on the bottom. And it'll hover in place, then move several inches along the horizon and then disappear. Now, according to him, this thing has been back several times over several months. And unfortunately, it was not around while I was there. But Dad did catch some video of it, and I will post that in the show notes to this episode. So you can have a look and see what you think. And I already ran through most of the obvious explanations. I got him to download the Skyview app, and he claims there's no celestial object in that area at the time. Due to the movement, it's not a plane. It's probably not a helicopter. And where he lives is fairly rural, so I can't imagine there's a whole lot of drones flying around either. But here's the interesting part. Tess's phone call came from western Pennsylvania, somewhere in the Pittsburgh area, which is only about an hour and 25 minutes from where my dad lives. And of course, her experience happened a dozen or so years ago, but I thought the two were too similar not to bring up so there you go Tess I know at least one other person that's experiencing something similar thanks for reporting what you saw well folks that brings us to tonight's final entry And this one takes us to my state of California. M, welcome to the show. Hi, I have recently started listening to your show because I have a friend who absolutely adores it. He's been listening for years, so listening to all of your stories that were on here, I thought that I would submit my own. I am M, and I live in California. It's not necessarily a local cryptid story, but it's a ghost story that's probably my most intimate experience with ghosts. This is about maybe pretty soon after the pandemic started and I was doing online schooling. So sometimes I just like not falling asleep in my bed. Sometimes I find like finding different spots in our house to sleep brings me like the variation helps bring me a lot more comfort to when I sleep. So we have a sunroom that's connected to our main living room by a sliding door. So that night after watching a movie or so with my parents, I fell asleep in the sunroom. And usually I write down whatever dreams I have and I write it off pretty easily. But this time I remember distinctly in my dream, I woke up in the position I fell asleep in and I was in the sunroom on the couch. And the spot on the couch was facing the, one of the doors that leads out to our backyard. 
And when I woke in my dream, it was very distinctly dark. And I looked out to that door and there was about eight shadowy figures with kind of like red eyes staring me through the door. And I remember distinctly thinking that these are dead people. So I get up and I start walking towards the door. And as I get closer, it's very, very hard to breathe. And there's kind of like a black film that's coming closer and closer around my vision. And in front of the door, there is a kind of like tub, like you would maybe store like things in your garage in. And as I'm walking closer, I recognize these as belonging to these people. And for some reason, I initially know that these people had died on a train accident. So I get closer and closer and I'm trying to open this to give it to them and then I wake up. And I usually don't wake up from nightmares or any like killer dreams, like viscerally, but I remember just waking up and gasping and almost going to a panic attack. So I run to the house, it's about 5.30 in the morning, tell my mom, she's usually awake early, and uh, you know, play video games for the rest of the day until I have to go to school. So I message one of my friends who's also very spiritual, our family's very spiritual. So I told my mom and she was like, oh yeah. But I messaged one of my friends and I was like, hey, you have experience with seeing dead people every once in a while. So do you mind helping me look at this train accident? And we looked at the research, this train accident. And there was a train accident a while ago that actually happened locally, I believe. And the article had eight people. And in my dream or whatever it was, all the people were different sizes. So there was like some children, like figures and some adults. And the article had entailed each of the eight victims, and it matched about the description in terms of height. Like, there were children, there was elderly people, there was adults. So, I'm a little freaked out, but I was listening to your podcast, and I figured that I would maybe share this. Not something super, I guess, outstanding or unique, but it reminded all these ghost stories encouraged me to share mine. And I wanted to find the article again so I could reference it, but the particular article that I had found, I could not find. So, the closest that I found was the Amtrak accident that happened a while ago. So that is my story. And thank you for listening to this and possibly sharing this. I'm very much looking forward to listening to more episodes with my friend as he keeps encouraging me to listen to more. So thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for all your work, you too. Bye. Thank you, Am. You know, I pride myself in trying to find some sort of correlation with pretty much any story that comes through their gates. And Am's was pretty easy. She spoke about a train accident, a crash, where people lost their lives and perhaps came back for one reason or another. Well, that instantly reminded me of a tragedy that took place in the late 1800s, all the way on the East Coast. In the state of North Carolina, in a town called Statesville, in a bridge named Bostain's Bridge. Around 2.30 in the morning on the 27th, the Richmond and Danville number nine left Statesville pulling six cars, including a first-class coach, a second-class coach, a Pullman sleeper, and the private rail car of the Richmond and Danville superintendent. They were about a half hour late, and engineer William West was pushing to make up time. Fewer than five minutes later, the train plunged off Bostain's Bridge. Estimates were that the train was traveling at 35 to 40 miles an hour when it caromed off the 60-foot-high, five-span brick structure. The sleeping car traveled 153 feet through the air before hitting the ground. The 30 survivors were cared for at the Boston family home place nearby or taken to Statesville to recover in private homes. 
the dead were taken to a nearby tobacco warehouse for identification. NCPedia says thousands of onlookers arrived at the scene of the tragedy in the following days, viewing the wreckage from the bridge or going through the debris below. Now battered and beaten, some of the survivors managed to walk the mile or so back to Statesville and arrange for help to come dig out any remaining survivors. And many reasons were tossed out as to why the accident took place. Some claimed speed was a factor. Others claimed that the railroad was in disrepair. But the most popular legend of the time and I believe people were actually prosecuted for this, was that vagrants that were staying beneath the bridge stole spikes from the track, causing it to come loose, pushing the locomotive and the passenger train dozens of feet below. Now, of course, any story like that, and like M's story, well, there's going to be some paranormal repercussions. Then came the reports of ghostly sightings. Now, as legend has it, it was exactly 50 years after the original train wreck. A woman was waiting by her broken down car near Boston's Bridge. Her husband had gone to fetch a mechanic. It's said that she heard the sound of a train going off that bridge, including the blood-curdling screams of the passengers aboard. And when the husband and the mechanic arrived, they searched the area and found nothing. Later, the couple arrived in Statesville, and they were told about that train crash 50 years earlier. It's said the woman fainted. A year later, a husband and wife, along with her young nephew, stopped to see the bridge. The woman got her foot tangled in a rail tie, couldn't be freed, and fainted as a train approached. Amazingly, all three laid flat near the edge of the bridge and escaped injury. A book of ghost stories published in 1970 further established the legend, and ghost hunters began examining the site. In 2010, a group of a dozen paranormal researchers on the 119th anniversary of the crash were on the bridge when they thought they heard the ghost train approaching. Initially, they didn't run. As it turns out, what the group had seen and heard was an actual Norfolk Southern train. Realizing their mistake, they ran across the bridge trying to make it to the other side. Most made it to safety. One woman narrowly avoided death. She was pushed by her boyfriend 40 feet off the bridge. She survived. Her boyfriend didn't. Now those clips courtesy of the North Carolina Transportation Museum. And like we discussed earlier with the black helicopters, we also have a sweet little train ghost story in Shadows in the Desert that I cannot wait to share with you guys. So stay tuned for that. We're trying to get this out to you as quickly as we can. And thank you, M, for bringing up the train tragedy. As awful as the accident was, the ghost story that follows is quite interesting. And I think that's going to do it for this extended Beyond episode. I certainly hope you guys got your money's worth. And I want to thank you all for not only taking the time to join us this evening, but for finding it in your hearts to contribute to this little podcast. Without your help and support, who knows where we'd be. Monsters Among Us Beyond is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. 
All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the terrifying score you heard this evening. Well, that's Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse. Co.ag Music. And Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. And thank you all for being so damn great. Keep it spooky out there. And I will catch you guys next week. Have a good night. What are you still doing here? It's over. Show's done. Go home. It's over. Okay, fine. One more story. And I saved a strange one here for last. From the state of Idaho, please welcome Nathan to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Nathan from Idaho. I just had a pretty short story I wanted to share from Maryland on Andrews Air Force Base. So I don't know if it's exactly paranormal, but uh, I was about maybe 12, 13, and I went over to a friend's house. And I was playing video games with him. We came outside and we saw this red balloon just floating up. We didn't think much of it, but me, my neighbor, whose name is James, and my neighbor's father, I forget his name, but we'll just call him Charlie. Charlie told me that he saw the balloon, but it was square. Now, I remember a red balloon. I do not remember the shape. It was super fuzzy, which is weird because I very clearly remember it, unless my mind just poof out of it. And it, it never seemed to go up into the atmosphere and pop. It was just a, a red blob. I can't remember the exact shape. I knew it was red and that's it. He confronted me with this, even though I'm 13, he's like, I can't remember his age, but he's way older than me because he's a parent of the guy I hang out with. And he told me, you know, that balloon, do you remember what shape it was? And I'm like, hmm, I don't. That's really weird. And he's like, so I remember it was a square, but it got a little fuzzy. That's just, I don't know. It's kind of odd. I'm a Patreon listener, so you can use this for a Patreon episode. Yeah, it's just weird. There's, there, I haven't experienced many weird things, but that's one of the weirder kind of things. I think it was maybe the government was testing something. I mean, Joint Base Andrews would be probably key location to where it would be tested. I don't know if it's paranormal. I also saw a black helicopter over D.C., but I mean, helicopters can be black. I don't know exactly what that classifies as, but... Yeah, that's my story. I love your show. Keep doing what you're doing. Hope you can use this for Patreon. Bye. Thank you, Nathan. Well, there you go. 
It's certainly a strange one. But I imagine a balloon can be pretty much any shape. Why not square? <laughs>